Hey y'all, this is the Christ Center Conversations Podcast, and I'm Shelby Stanfill. And I'm Kevin Stanfill. Each week, we come together and discuss the Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoy listening to this week's episode. Welcome back <laughs> to Christ Center Conversations Book of Mormon Podcast. We are episode 39 today. That's right. And we are in 2nd Nephi 15 and 16. <laughs> That's right. We're going to get, I mean, we're Hopefully. probably going to get through both chapters. That's the plan. And uh, yeah, excited. I did I did a fair amount of study, um, but more like just this morning and yesterday. It was, it was kind of a busy week. There was a lot of stuff going on. There was a lot of stuff going on. So in all honesty, I just studied today. <laughs> yeah. But I still studied. So. And you studied throughout the week. It just wasn't necessarily dedicated oh, yeah. to. Yeah. I've been studying a lot about the atonement. So. Yeah. From your book. Well, not my book. Well, from the book that you have in your possession. Yes. <laughs> Anyway, um, we digress. Let's just uh, do we dive. have any? Oh, <laughs> before we before we dive in, um, do we have any matters of podcast business? Um, no, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Awesome. We're, we're gonna have a guest on on the conference talk next week. Is that is that confirmed? Yes, it was confirmed. Awesome. Yeah, definitely check out our conference talk podcast. That's yeah. our little that's our little side podcast. So, but nothing with this podcast that I know of. Okay. Well, yeah, you know, we're we're deep, like entrenched. Not entrenched. We're enmeshed in <laughs> the Isaiah chapters in Second Nephi. And, uh, you know, I have to say that I've never gone this deep, probably in any um, set of scripture so, so deeply. So, like, for example, from basically chapter one of Second Nephi through the ones that we're finishing up today, 15 and 16, I've never spent so much time on any particular group of uh, scriptures and I've gotten a lot out of it and I've really understood more about the gathering of Israel, uh, what that means to me personally and why, why it should mean more to everybody. And uh, all that means is that I'm going to be better at spreading that word and, and talking about it, which that actually comes up in the scriptures today. So, um, if we may, oh, we may not. I may. Yeah, now we're unified. Like it, in love this. it, want some more of it. So, <laughs> chapter fifteen. Let oh, let's start. Uh, let's start it. Um, I'll go ahead and read the the chapter header. Okay. Um, just because it does give some insight. Some preface. Yeah. So the Lord's vineyard, which is Israel will become desolate and his people will be scattered. Basically what we've been talking about for the past like three or four chapters, I think. Mm -hmm. Woes will come upon them 
in their apostate and scattered state. Also, what we've been talking about for the past several chapters. <coughs> Excuse me. The Lord will lift up an ensign and gather Israel. We've kind of mentioned that a few times, but this one talks a little bit more about it. And this is compared with Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah 5. So, verse 1, verse 1 and 2. So, actually, well, verse 2 to me, well, it talks about the vineyard in verse 1. Mm-hmm. And the vineyard is the house of Israel, mm-hmm. a.k.a. the world, because <laughs> we're scattered right now. Right. Surprise. Um, but we are being gathered currently. So, that's cool. But which is a sign of Christ's second coming. And anyway, but it relates more to the end of the verse, but verse two, I mean, the end of the chapter, I'm sorry. But do you have anything to say about verse one? Cause I was going to move on to verse two. I just love that Isaiah calls the Lord, my, my beloved and my well-beloved. Hmm. That's really cool. And that the vineyard is in a very fruitful hill. Right. I just love the, the poetic, the nature of it. Yeah. You definitely would. You're creative. Um, <laughs> well, I'm going to read verse two really quick. It says, talking about the vineyard, it says, and he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. So, Kevin, enlighten me on this verse. Because we talked about this pre-podcast, mm-hmm. and I really, I had some insights, and Kevin had some insights, and I really liked your verse. Because, mm-hmm. let me preface this by saying, I asked Kevin, isn't this about the atonement of Jesus Christ, like verse 2? And he was like, yeah. And then he went into it a little bit more. So yeah. tell me. First things first, so the... I feel like the choicest vine that mm-hmm. the, that's referred to um, is talking about that uh, noble bloodline that you know belongs to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's where that's where all of the that's all the branches of Israel come out of is that that choice vine, the wine press that was put therein in the vineyard um we we understand that there's quite a few verses throughout the the scriptures um at large that talk about the wine press and the the lord trod the wine press alone Mm -hmm. meaning that he was he underwent the pressure, the, the 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 immense amount of pain and pressure, and because uh, they usually use that to squeeze down the grapes to make the wine, right? And so he was under that uh, wine press, right? Um, and it also is used uh, the same way with the olive press, mm-hmm. which. Um, you can read all about an all definitely look up to our listeners, look up Truman G. Madsen and his lectures about the olive press and the atonement. 
of Jesus Christ. It's, it's very insightful. Um, and so, so that wine press in the yeah. middle, Jesus Christ was the only one who could, who could satisfy the requirements. Right. Right. And I just see that, the the reference of the wine press in this verse mm-hmm. talking about that it's in the vineyard is that along with all the other things that the Lord did to prepare his vineyard, to be a place where um, good fruit could be born. He also put therein a savior, mm-hmm. which was himself. He, he provided himself as a, a savior for his people. And if you look and it says he looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. So he was looking that it should bring forth normal grapes or good fruit, Mm -hmm. but the wild grapes or the wild fruit is not good fruit. It's the kind that you don't want in, in a vineyard. And so that's symbolic of the apostatizing or or apostate apostate Israelites at this time. And when we get to verse four, I love when he says, what could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done it. And that reminds me a lot of Jacob five, because often in Jacob five, the Lord is answering like, what more could I have done? Um, And it says, wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, it brought forth wild grapes. And so, at this point, the wild grapes have came out of this, and the Lord is obviously saddened, and now he's going to talk about all the things that await Israel because of the wild grapes, right? Or mm-hmm. the apostatizing, sorry, I was going to say apostate, but apostatizing people um, doesn't mean there weren't people who are faithful, but the majority were not, yeah. were not following. And so we've talked a lot the past, like four podcasts, I want to say about mm-hmm. the destruction that comes upon Israel. Yeah. Um, and it goes into it even more from here on out. Um, in verse five, it talks about breaking down the wall of the vineyard and removing the hedge thereof. And that's just talking about how the, the Lord is no longer going to protect his people if they're not going to hearken unto him. Right, because he we're bound, He is bound to do what he says when we obey him. And so the first thing for these people to go was obviously obedience. Right. And um, it'll be laid waste to. Um, in verse 6, he says, It shall not be pruned nor digged. And the pruning and digging, we can uh, reference that to Jacob 5 and the great allegory of the the olive trees and the vineyard. Digging and pruning is the Lord's work with his children, which seeks to persuade them to be obedient and produce good fruit. So that's not happening right now because it would be vain. The Lord can't reach them. And as a result, these briars and thorns, which afflict people, are coming into the the vineyard, and there's no rain, so there's no nourishment of any kind. It's just uh, it's just becoming kind of bleak and uh, without um, without 
like good fruit, right? Without productiveness. And that's actually what it talks about coming up soon too. Um, and I love how Isaiah does point it out. He puts it point blank in verse seven. He says, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, his pleasant plant. And so that just reaffirms what we've been talking about. Hmm. So as we keep going on um, in verse, well, the end of verse seven, he look he, and he looked for judgment and behold, oppression for righteousness, behold a cry. So he's looking, um, well, actually, is this people who are uh, righteous who are crying out for the Lord? Or no? Am I interpreting that wrong? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, as far as when it says that, I mean, I obviously it's a difficult little part. Right. I don't know who he is. I think the vin- um, the Lord. I'm pretty sure. So if he looked for judgment, we also see that the term "look" is kind of like he wants, or he's he's expecting, or something like that. And so he he is the judge. He's the great judge, so he will be the judge. And behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, a cry. Mm. Um, so I think he was looking for righteousness, but didn't get it. Possibly. Yeah. Not sure. Not all, sure on that one, Neil. All we know is that um, the house of Israel definitely is is under condemnation. Right. Um, and like we've said, we've talked about it a lot. So I kind of want to get through this, right? I don't want to dwell too long. But, okay. but for the sake of people who are reading through these and, and understanding the symbolism and the references, Shelby, did you want to point out some of the references to 8 through 10? I wanted to point out verse 10. Okay. Um, he's talking about how they'll join from house to house and eventually it's going to be pretty desolate. Mm-hmm. Um, it says in verse 10, um, of a truth, many houses shall be desolate and great and fair cities without inhabitant. Yea, 10 acres of vineyard shall yield one bath and the seed of a homer shall you shall yield an ephah. And I just had some insight into that from the old Testament manual that says that an acre is the amount of yoke an oxen could plow in a day. A bath is about 5.5 gallons, and I'm assuming this is a water. (laughs) A homer is about 6.5 bushels, and an ephah is one-tenth of a homer. So the measurements that I just read, which were 10 acres of a vineyard, shall yield one bath. So that's only 5.5 gallons for an acre. And the seed of a homer, which a homer is um, bushels, right? It's 6.5 bushels. Um, that's anyway. My point is it the if you add up the measurements, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's pretty desolate <laughs> because right. of the wickedness. Like there's not a lot there. There should be a lot more harvest reaped from 10 anchor ten acres than what he says it will be. Now right. <laughs> so not only will it be uh a desolate place physically, but also spiritually. Right. So I just wanted to point out that one. Um, do you have any you want to point out before we move on? Um, 
in verse 12, it talks about the harp, the viol or viol, the tabret, the pipe, and wine. And I just kind of put those, I, I wrote beside those worldly voices and like pleasant things of mm. the world that, you know, they, because next it says, they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of his hands. So in other words, they're not recognizing his, their need for God in Jesus right. Christ. They have all these things. Right. But they don't, uh, they don't acknowledge the hand of the Lord as being what gave them those things. Um, this week, which I shared with you yesterday, mm-hmm. I've just, every time I, I eat, Mm. Um, whether it's a quick lunch at work or uh, a delicious dinner or whatever have you, I've just been so, so grateful for the food that Mm. I have. And, and I know partly because I know that there are a lot of people who don't have such, you know, ready access to food. Mm -hmm. Um, and nowadays with, uh, with, you know, people out of work, having a tough time, you know, there are people who they don't, they don't have the the luxury and the blessings that we have to just have food all the time. And so I, I very, very rarely uh, will start eating before I just acknowledge the Lord. And it doesn't have to be like this big prayer. And I don't like making a vain repetition out of it being like, oh, please, you know, bless this food that will strengthen, nourish my body. It's like, no, like that's why he's given it to me. And mm-hmm. so I'll acknowledge his goodness. Mm-hmm. I'll acknowledge my fortunate, you Your know, blessing, my blessing. So that's where, that's where the ancient Israelites went astray is they stopped. Uh, they stopped doing that. We see in 15 again, uh, the mighty man shall be humbled and the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled. Mm-hmm. Very interesting because we've read that before. It repeated itself, so it's important. It also repeats that the Lord of hosts shall be exalted right. in judgment. Um, basically talking about how um, back in, in 12, it says, For the day of the Lord of hosts soon cometh upon all the nations, yea, upon every one. Um, and then the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. Did you mean chapter 12? Yeah, chapter 12. Yeah, you Sorry. Said verse 12. <laughs> Sorry, I always do that. It's okay. But, you know, that's that's just kind of I the Lord when he does come everyone will subordinate themselves to his will. Right. There's not going to be another nation or other rulers or kings. It's just everything's going to subordinate to him. So, then we get some woes. Yeah. We get lots of woes here. Um, I think my favorite woe is the one about calling evil good and good evil. Right. Put darkness for light and light for darkness and bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Um, Because nowadays um, I realize that is such a true thing that people think that, you know, all the good that we're doing is actually evil. (laughs) And there's actually real evil going on that they're calling good. And so I was like, oh, wow, that's 100% like true. (laughs) 
Um, and it's happening. And so there's a lot of other woes um, that he talks about in this chapter. I love 18 and 19. Um, it's so it's so powerful. Woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin, as it were, with a cart rope. Mm-hmm. And so just these people who they, it's almost like they're putting so much effort into their iniquitous practices, right? They're like really like bound by sin. Yeah. Well, and they, and they love it. Right. Right. Like they've, they've gone so far as to make it a part of them themselves. But it also says that, that they say, let him make speed, hasten his work that we may see it and let the counsel of the Holy one of Israel draw nigh and come that we may know it. And I don't know exactly what that's talking about. What I think it is, is people who kind of like are tempting the tempting God saying, well, why don't you just come down and show yourself, right? Mm -hmm. If what we're doing is so wrong, then come, come do something about it. Right. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I would agree with you. Um, And if I can jump to verse 24, okay, talks about fire and flame. And something that we're going to see in the following chapter is that smoke and fire are like signs of the Lord. Yeah, it's there. There it denotes the presence of the Lord Mm -hmm. uh, and the presence of God even. And so when these things do happen, this this burning occurs, which we actually talked about a little bit last week. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a sign of the Lord's coming as, as well. Um, and nothing, no uncleanliness can exist in it. Even our mortal corruption cannot, cannot exist in fire. We have to be protected by the Lord, sanctified, and clean so that nothing can be burned away. Interesting. Cause I was thinking quite the opposite that you have to go through a burning to be sanctified and that burning would like, you know, be the natural man and the sins in order to be sanctified and purified. Yeah. Um, maybe I misspoke, but the, the idea that, the Lord is going to do that. We can't do anything of ourselves. It's not like I can go and sanctify, sanctify myself. I have to give everything over to him. And, you know, the, the sanctification, which is the, you know, baptism of fire and of the Holy ghost mm-hmm. that comes from the, the Lord. It's not on. Okay. Yeah. But we do have to do our part to get there. I think is what I'm saying, but it's a spiritual, like it's a spiritual, uh, like refining process that happens through conversion, but there is coming a day when we're going to dwell with God. And if we're not free of our sins, if we're not free of uncleanliness, cleanliness (laughs) or cleanliness, uh, then we can't bear to be in his presence. Right. I, you know, that book of Mormon or not book of Mormon. <laughs> There's a video, a book, a message, a Mormon message or what are, what are they called now? Since we're, I'm not sure. I think just inspirational videos. Yeah. Um, 
there's one called the refiner's fire. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? And that's the part that is coming to my mind when you're talking about this is that it's shaping, um, it's sanctifying the whole time, like pressing down and it's trying to make this from steel. It has to like melt and be sanctified in order to be turned into like this beautiful flower that they're making out of steel. And so that's what I was, I think, thinking of um, in that process. But yes, it's, it's God and Jesus Christ who are doing that to us, but it's up to us to respond. How we respond, I think also depends on how our flower looks. (laughs) Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Because it could be like really ugly or really pretty or somewhere in the middle. So. Yeah. Anyway. Um, you know, we hear about the anger of the Lord um, in verse 25. It talks about that, that it's kindled against his people. And I wanted to bring this up. I, I thought about this this morning and I thought I really need to, to bring this up um, in the podcast. If we look back at the imagery of the wine press, and that the Lord trod the winepress alone, and that he he did truly atone through his suffering and death for our sins. There's only there's nobody has the right except for him to be angry about our sins. Yeah. Um, I don't even get to be mad about my sins because he's already taken them. All I can do is repent. All I can do is just change. Um, That's why I don't beat myself up about my mistakes. Because unfortunately, he already owns them. And so uh, there's nothing that I can do. And there's there's a good reason that he is angry with the people of Israel in this time as well as modern day. It's because... He trod the wine press. He went through excruciating pain and suffering and finally death. And uh, people are still not doing what he asked them to do. And so, um, you know, we, we have to, we have to acknowledge um, that, his role as savior and redeemer is also tied with his suffering. And we just need to, that's why during the sacrament, we need to practice more reverence and, and encourage others to do so as well. And, and then throughout the week to remember him. And that way we can hopefully stop sinning. We can stop making these mistakes. We're we can, never going to stop sinning. Well, that's here on earth. Unfortunately, it's true, but we've got to we've got to do more. Um, we need to have less sin. Right, we have to have less sin. So, good insights, babe. <laughs> but now we get into something a little bit more, uh, not lighthearted, but but definitely more exciting, uh, more, more positive. Um, and it talks about an enzyme being lifted up to the nations. And that enzyme, I have a quote to read. Yes. 
It says, President Joseph Fielding Smith defined the meaning of the enzyme spoken of by Isaiah, which this quote was given a while ago. So, <laughs> but it does say over 125 years ago, add a few more, in a little town of Fayette, 200, right? 200 years ago, in a little town of Fayette, Seneca County. I don't know. New York, the Lord set up an ensign to the nations. It was in fulfillment of the prediction made by the prophet Isaiah, which I have read. That ensign was the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which was established for the last time, never again to be destroyed or given to other people. It was the greatest event the world had seen since the day that the Redeemer was lifted upon the cross and worked out the infinite and eternal atonement. It meant more to mankind than anything else that has ever occurred since that day. So that ensign is the establishment of the church. And that hissing, it says, and will hiss unto them from the end of the earth. That hissing, I mean, we can, it's like a, not a whisper, but it, I thought there was another link. To hissing too. The expression describes a signal such as a whistle to summon or alert someone to an event. And we have many ways that we do that today, right? Mm -hmm. We have um, missionaries all over. We have social media. We have airplanes that we fly on. We have we have cars like that reach places <laughs> that couldn't have been reached before. You know, right. so. Um, and it says it shall come speed with speed swiftly. None shall be weary nor, stu nor stumble among them. None shall slumber nor sleep. Neither shall lose the girdle of their loins be loosed, be loosed, nor the latchet of their shoes be broken. And it just, this is beautiful imagery, I think. But it also says whose arrows shall be sharp and all their bows bent and their horses hoofs shall be counted like flint and their wheels like a whirlwind. They're roaring like a lion. So in verse 28, there's some insight into here too. Did you want to add anything more to 26 and 27 though? Um, you're, you're talking about those things. Oh, yeah. like what you would say. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so basically the church is established. And then this to me is talking about the ways that the word will go forth or that will gather Israel. And in verse 28, it talks, it gives some insight into um, what Isaiah was meaning by these horses, hoofs, and uh, wheels, like a whirlwind and a roaring lion. And um, Elder Legrand Richards provided some modern day application to Isaiah's words. And he said, I quote, since there were neither trains nor airplanes in that day, Isaiah could hardly have mentioned them by name. However, he seemed to have described them in unmistakable words. How better could their horses' hoofs be counted like flint and their wheels like a whirlwind than in a modern train? How better could their roaring be like a lion than in the roar of an airplane? Trains and airplanes do not stop for night. Therefore, was not Isaiah justified in saying, none shall slumber nor sleep? Neither shall the girdle of their loins be loose, nor the latchet of their shoes broken. With this manner of transportation, the Lord really can really hiss unto them from the end of the earth that they shall come with speed swiftly. So 
it just brought a lot of insight because I was like, oh, okay, that's what that means. And before I would have just straight, not even right. been like, oh, something about a horse. Yeah, I don't know. Well, <laughs> you know, the same thing is uh, is with Daniel's vision. Yes, it does. It does right. reference that yeah. with the the stone rolling. Yeah. Excuse me. You know, we have to remember that these were these were practically primitive men right they although they were great men they had, they were great spiritual men um you know they they lived out in the desert with not a lot of stuff going on you know um so they tried their best to describe their experiences with the god and of the future and uh it's just awesome. And, you know, so trying to, trying to put ourselves in their shoes sometimes. Helps you gain perspective. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, so, yeah, yeah. In, in that day, <laughs> right? In that day. And that day is speedily coming. It's already here. <laughs> but it's still coming. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, excuse me. We're well, it's, it's still here. It's, it is here. But, uh there's there's a future day still to still to come yeah um so that kind of finishes up 15 and we move into 16 and 16 is a pretty short chapter it's one of those that um you know i think when you're trying to read quickly through the scriptures you just boop, done. you see that one and you're like awesome like i can i can get this extra one in <laughs> and then go to sleep Right, because it's yeah. not very long. Yep. But there's actually a lot of there's some pretty intense stuff going on in here. So uh, I and this is Isaiah speaking. Uh, he says, in a certain year, um, which we can actually identify, because he says the the year that King Uzziah died. Um, I don't I don't know the relevance of that year, but it's I. Of the year. Right. It's about 750 B.C. 742 B.C. Um, I, there's a quote about who King Uzziah is. Mm -hmm. um, do you want me to read it? Go for it. Okay. Sorry, I'm just like the quoter over here today, but it's good info. It says, Uzziah, Uzziah I think, was the 10th king in the southern king of Judah. He began to rule at 16 when his father um, Amaziah was killed by conspirators. Uzziah sought for and followed the counsel of the prophet Zechariah. While he followed the ways of righteousness, the Lord prospered him. He led the kingdom of Judah in several successful military campaigns against local enemies. He strengthened the walls of Jerusalem. He supported agricultural agriculture. <laughs> he raised the kingdom of Judah to a condition of prosperity that had not been known since the death of Solomon. But toward the end of his life, as an unauthorized servant of the Lord, Uzziah tried to offer incense on the altar in the temple at which time he was struck with leprosy. His leprosy stayed with him until his death in about 74, 742 BC. So that's a little uh, behind King Uzziah, Uzziah there. Something that I thought as you started reading was that, you know, Isaiah could also be using uh, this king uh -huh. as a kind of a type of well he was he was protecting 
and he was providing this protection for Israel Mm -hmm. during, you know, during a time of obedience to the Lord. But as soon as, as soon as he was not obedient, that's when not only he was uh, struck with struck with leprosy and his descent began, but also all of Israel began to descend with him. Mm. Um, so that just shows the power of a leader. Yeah. Um, and this is a vision that, that Isaiah has, that he sees the Lord. And he this the Lord whom he sees is the premortal Jesus Christ, the God of the Old Testament, just mm-hmm. to be clear. And he sees the seraphim. Which are what? Which are either heavenly creatures mm-hmm. or resurrected beings or angels. Mm-hmm. Um, and the wings that it talks about them having, that's only to denote their power to move and act. And act. So they're not necessarily, you know, throughout the scriptures, you hear about these seraphim, these cherubs, and we kind of are, we sometimes misunderstand them as being like these strange creatures or like these weird things with the wings. Um, I don't think that's true. It's just um, a symbolic. Yeah, there's just, it's just symbolism. And, um, and you know, I don't want to say it's, you know, because sometimes it's not symbolism. Sometimes it is actually what's going on. But uh, we have some, some references from Latter-day apostles yeah. and prophets that help us determine. And going in, going back to what we were talking about, about the burning, it says the the basic meaning in Hebrew for seraph is to burn, perhaps to indicate the purified state necessary to be in God's presence. So these angels, I mean, they, that Isaiah is seeing, they they had to be purified to be in his presence. So these aren't just people that got to be angels all of a sudden, right. you know. So anyway, I just had to they, put that out there. They were righteous yes. as well. Yeah. Um, and this is where in verse four, it talks about a house filled with smoke. And mm. that's where I got, you know, the smoke and fire are, uh, they denote the presence of God. Um, and so after this vision that Isaiah has, he says, It says in verse five, then said I, woe is unto me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And this reminded me of Nephi's experience after he had received a great witness of the Lord. His heart Mm -hmm. exclaimeth in chapter four, verse 17, oh, wretched man that I am. Second Nephi four, by the way, for our listeners, if they want to reference it. Yeah, didn't I say Second Nephi chapter four? Didn't you? Yeah, I just heard Nephi. Anyway, <laughs> you're always tripping me up because I'm always saying verse when I mean chapter and chapter I'm when sorry. I say verse. And... I just didn't hear Second Nephi, and if I did, I apologize. You're good. I did say it. Um, I was thinking it reminded me of Moses. And that's actually who I was going to talk about next. Oh, okay. I was going to talk about him saying. You know, I realized that man is nothing right. after he saw 
God and all of his creations. And this is just kind of a, a natural humbling that prophets go through when they have experiences with the divine. Um, they, they realize that they themselves are so imperfect and uh, yeah. it's, it's good, but it's, it's also not self deprecating too. It's, they still keep trying. I think it's good that they recognize their dependence yeah. on the Lord. Mm. You know? Yes. Because, I mean, I mean, even I don't recognize all the time my dependence on the Lord. Right. You know? But I have been <clears throat> trying to more lately um, because of the scriptures I'm reading. Yeah. Obviously, I know that the only reason I'm alive right now is because God granted me so far this day to live. Who knows by the end of the day? But I'm just saying, right. you know what I mean? It's it's ultimately up to him. Um, but my obedience can, uh, you know, bring blessings and things like that. Anyway, that's another off-in-the-weed subject. So. Well, and Isaiah attributes the ability to be cleansed and receive mm. forgiveness to to God. Um, which he gets. He gets it. He gets it, which is His, pretty cool in six and seven. Yeah. Right. Um this the seraphim or the angel comes and brings a coal um that he had taken from the altar and he puts it on his mouth mm -hmm. and it touches his lips and by doing that his iniquity is taken away and his sin is purged. So Shelby what do we do on altars? We sacrifice. Yeah. We covenant. Yeah. <laughs> so here's this angel who takes something from the something, altar. a coal, which is hot, mm -hmm. burning even, which we've talked about being in the presence of the Lord. Cleansing the cleansing mm -hmm. sanctification power right. of God. He takes it over and he puts it in the mouth or on the lips of Isaiah, who he sees as being like the, the source of his sins, mm -hmm. right? They're unclean lips. So for those who are endowed members of the church, think about the initiatory and some of the blessings that you're blessed with there. Mm -hmm. um, but also think of the endowment too yeah. because it relates to the endowment as well um which we can't talk about here but that's okay that's okay <laughs> anybody can go and figure it out true well not right now because they're closed the temples are closed currently but as right. soon as they're open anybody can go there yeah you just got to do what's necessary you have to make necessary offerings to get there so his iniquity is taken away that's right, right? And it's interesting because he hears the voice of the Lord that says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. So if I may. Here am I, sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sorry. Go, yes, you may. Verse 8 is this vision Isaiah has, I believe. Doesn't say this anywhere, but I believe that's a vision of his own foreordination as a prophet. Because mm. he sees, well, he, he hears the voice of the Lord asking, whom shall I send? And he, Isaiah, says, here am I, send me. 
which is interesting because he didn't say he doesn't say here I am because I am indicates Jesus Christ. Right. He says, am I like here am I? Yeah. He doesn't say what the Lord probably would have said, which is right. here I am. And so, you know, almost uh, almost kind of like because he's he's received this forgiveness. You know, he sees as well his purpose, you know, I don't know. No, I agree with you because then it, then he, this person replies to him, which is God, right? Being called of God. Yeah. um, And says, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but they understood not and see indeed, but they perceive not. So he knows that the people that he's going to be talking to aren't going to be heeding the Lord very well and, and seeing the Lord very well. It even describes Mm -hmm. them as, the heart being fat and their ears are heavy and their eyes um, are shut. Oh, shut their eyes and, and hear anyway. I'm so these. <laughs> if, if I may, <laughs> I got overwhelmed. Yeah. That, that can happen <laughs> in Isaiah and all the scriptures. So in you're, you're on the right track in verse nine, hear ye indeed. This is God speaking to Isaiah. Isaiah, he knew what was up. Right. That's what we talked about like six, six episodes ago. Yeah. But they understood not. They, the people who are going to be told, don't understand the words that they're hearing. Right. Okay. Uh, make the heart of this people fat, make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest, which is unless, they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and be converted and be healed. Now, why would the Lord God not want his people to be converted and be healed? What do you mean? It says they will be if they see and hear and understand. Yeah, but they're not going to do that. And he's telling Isaiah specifically to make their heart fat, and to make their ears heavy and shut their eyes. Oh, so he, like, in order to do that, he has to send somebody to preach unto them, like Isaiah? I'm not sure I'm following. Possibly. That he, you know, why would, why would, the Lord talks about it, casting pearls before swine, right? You don't do that. Because if he sends the word unto this people who are not going to listen, then all that's going to happen is Isaiah gets stoned and it, it ends, right? So there are times when the Lord, he doesn't give people all the information because he knows oh. that they aren't ready for it. There's a reason that like even the parables of Jesus are not understood completely by everyone. And why did he speak in parables? There's, there's two prevailing theories of why these are secular theories, but there are two prevailing theories as to why Jesus taught in parables. The first is that if he had outright spoken about what he was really teaching, the Romans would have killed him much sooner than they did because he was preaching treason. He was saying, worship a God that's not Caesar or, or, you know, in Rome. Mm -hmm. Right. And then also, so that he could subvert the current church leadership, which was not correct at the time. 
So that way of teaching and that way of uh, disseminating information has continued to this day where things are taught in symbols, uh, in, in, um, they're not forthright always because you don't want somebody who's not ready to receive the truth to get it and not use it correctly because they're not prepared to use it. Right. Because when you learn knowledge or truth, you're then accountable. You're held to that because you have yes. that knowledge. Thank you for pointing that out. That's okay. where I'm, that's what I missed uh, in my explanation. If you tell somebody some doctrine, mm -hmm. now they're accountable and they have to live it. Mm -hmm. And if they choose not to, they're condemned. So really it's kind of a, it's showing the love of the Lord. Oh, of course. For his people, because he's like, I don't want to condemn them even more. That's right. Than they already have been. And that's why people see the God of the old Testament as being this vengeful mean God. And they can't reconcile that with Jesus who is in the new Testament as being this merciful, tender savior. They're like, well, I don't understand. They must be two different people or, you know, what, what happened there? It's because they misunderstand Jesus's uh, or Jehovah's uh, way of protecting and gathering like as a hen, mm -hmm. like protects the eggs mm -hmm. in its nest. Sometimes that's misconstrued as being vengeful or vindictive. But right. it's better for one man to perish than an entire nation to dwindle in unbelief. Right. Right. It's better that Laban was killed than his whole nation. The whole nation, which would be the branch taken away and sent across the ocean to, to not have happened. Right. So the perspective of, of God is sometimes just beyond our sight. Um, but he's, he's willing to give that to us. Um, so back man. to Isaiah's vision. Yeah. He asked him how long. Yeah. And the Lord says until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord have removed men from far away. So a scattering, mm -hmm. right? Um, for there shall be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet there shall be a tenth and they shall return and shall be eaten as a teal tree and as an oak whose substance is in them. When they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. That's a lot. <laughs> if, if I... If we can you, unpack that, you may. Yeah, if I, if I may, <laughs> if I may unpack that. So um, yes, there is this scattering. the The Babylonians, the Syrians, they come and they destroy Jerusalem, and uh, they scatter Israel. And but there's a a tenth. a tenth, which I wrote in my notes, a branch. Of the house of Israel. Yeah, you're right. It's Something, a, yeah. a remnant of the house of Israel. Yeah, this preserved group of people. And it talks about them returning. And I'm not sure what it's talking about, about being eaten as a teal tree. 
Um, <laughs> but that may have some insight. Well, one thing. Oh yeah, now I, I do I do understand it because I remember what you were about to say. Go go for it. <laughs> okay. So it also mentions holy seed. So it says yeah. holy seed refers to the faithful remnant that will regenerate new life out of scattered Israel, like new branches growing from the stump of a tree that has been cut down. So that tree, uh, the teal tree or the oak tree were cut, right? And this new holy seed or remnant of the house of Israel will be brought forth. Yeah. We'll live again. And, it, and when it talks about casting their leaves, you know, there's certain, the, the trees still live through the winter, which is a time of not being nourished, having no light, you know, but they, they're preserved by something so that at the time when the, the truth is restored to them, they can begin to grow again and, and continue to flourish. Correct. So that's pretty cool. Reminds me of that um, uh, inspirational church message <laughs> that the the person cuts down his tree in order for it to grow yeah. more. Oh yeah, um, remember the will of God. Yeah, the, the little why? Bush. Why did you cut me down? I was growing so big, but he was growing wild. Yeah, and, and then so he's like, no, you don't understand. I'm doing this because I love you. Yeah, exactly. And I want you to be more than just this crazy old little bush. stump bush yeah yeah wants you to be a tree so anyway it's it's it relates to what he did to israel here he loved them so much mm-hmm. that he was willing to to cut, to cut them down to scatter them and some of them died um yeah luckily there was a savior a wine press was put therein mm-hmm. yeah Pretty cool, pretty cool, y'all. Yep. That sums up 16. And then next week we will start in chapter 17. And Ephraim and Syria wage war against Judah. Woo! Christ will be born of a virgin compared with Isaiah yes. chapter 7. And so yeah, we're definitely gonna be learning a lot in these next two chapters. Um, they're all about Jesus Christ. Just like the last sixteen verses or sixteen chapters <laughs> of Second Nephi and the whole Book of Mormon that we've we've talked about this far. Just last night when we were talking about how many times you read the Book of Mormon, and you said I forgot how many times you said, but then I was like, oh, I've read, I think I've read it like eight times through. Mm-hmm. I was like, I should really start reading it through again. And then it dawned on me that I'm doing that. And I was like, oh, it's just going to take me forever. Yeah, we're just doing it slow. <laughs> so I don't think it matters how many times you read through the Book of Mormon. But um, it does matter what you get from it each time you read, no matter how slow or fast you may go. So anyway, just read the Book of Mormon. It doesn't matter if it's this slow or slower or super fast i read it in 30 days one time yeah that was crazy and you pick up different things if you're going super slow uh like us which is deliberately slow it's studying it out yeah um but if you read read it super fast you can also pick out a lot of really important things that come up several times speed reading yeah so repetitive phrases stand out a lot that's right anyway keep reading the book of mormon and we hope that we're helping your studies and we'll be back with you next week and definitely tune into conference talk 
read Elder Rinland's talk Mm -hmm. to get ready for that one. Saturday afternoon. Yep. We love y'all. See ya. We hope you're enjoying the Christ-Centered Conversations podcast featuring the Book of Mormon. If you have any suggestions for the show, please message us on Facebook at Kevin or Shelby Stanfill. We also invite you to visit churchofjesuschrist.org for more information on the Book of Mormon and the restored gospel of Jesus Christ.